Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Well, hello there and welcome to Loving Liberty. Glad you could join me. It is Monday, the 10th of February. I should probably start by saying happy birthday to my older sister, Tammy. I'm not going to say how old she is. We're past that age where we're, you know, acknowledging the numbers that becomes important. She's already established that she is the dominant sibling. She will always be a couple of years ahead of me. And besides, <laughs> the birthdays come and go so fast. It's it's you know, it's almost like rubbing it in. Hey, happy such and such birthday. Nonetheless, I'm glad you could join us today. I'm going to start with a little bit of outrage. I hope you don't mind. But this one has been gnawing at me all weekend long. Ever since I saw the article by Christian Britsky, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, on Reason.com. Here's the headline. You're going to understand why this gets my blood pressure up. Undercover cops hired 118 handymen, then arrested them all for not having licenses. I've talked about this kind of thing before. And once again, this is the great state of Florida where undercover sheriff's deputies posing as homeowners hired handymen to come in and paint, install recessed lighting, or do other tasks that require licenses. And then they arrested them. But if you think, well, you know, these guys shouldn't have been out there doing work without a license. Listen to how this was done and then help me try to reconcile with how does this square with the concept of government that exists to protect the rights of its citizens? Check this out. The residents of Hillsborough County, Florida, can sleep safely tonight following the arrest of 118 people for performing unlicensed contracting work as part of a Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office sting known as Operation House Hunters. The sting, according to Patch, saw sheriff's deputies pose as homeowners seeking handymen on social media to do jobs that required licensure. Now, these unsuspecting handymen would be lured to one of five homes where undercover deputies filmed them performing or agreeing to perform prohibited tasks like painting or installing recessed lighting. The stings were carried out in March and December of last year. The arrests were announced yesterday. Oh, listen to this self-serving, this press release. These 118 con men and women were posing as contractors and preying on innocent homeowners in Hillsborough County who were just looking to repair or improve their home. That's uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff Chad Cronister at a Tuesday press conference. And, of course, they had the mug shots set up of everyone who was picked up in the sweeps displayed on big posters to show them, you know, these are the, the con men. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. These were individuals who were answering an ad of someone looking for help. Now, we can get into the whole contractual thing. What if two people want to agree? Could you help me with this? But I want you to hear how they went about this. This is the part that just chaps my hide, to coin a phrase. The sheriff's office also released a compilation video of some of the handymen caught up in the sting operation, including several who had past criminal convictions or had previously been caught performing unlicensed contract work. Here's the kicker, though. Only eight of the people arrested as part of Operation House Hunters were repeat offenders. That's according to the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. The other 110 were arrested for first-time offenses. These weren't career criminals that these that the police were going after here. The bulk of those charges were, quote, unlawful acts in the capacity of a contractor. 
That's a misdemeanor offense that can come with a $1,000 fine and a 12-month jail sentence. But if you have a repeat violation, well, they'll step it up to a possible felony charge. I mean, what could they have done to, uh, to get on the right side of the law to stop living this life of crime? Pay money to the state and ask its permission. Plain and simple. No harm done. No one was defrauded. No one was uh, cheated or injured in any way. They created criminals out of thin air. Now, the fact that they got a few former criminals or people with past criminal convictions, does that really surprise you considering that if you have a criminal conviction on your record, particularly if you have a felony, it's not easy finding work. Most of the work you're going to find is going to be menial. It's going to be, you know, manual labor. And and no surprise, you're probably going to find yourself having to work with a bunch of other, you know, convicts or former convicts as well. It's like once you're on the electronic plantation, there there is no way off. Now, Leslie Samus is a criminal defense lawyer in Tampa, Florida. She's represented clients caught up in these sting operations. She says, well, OK, it's not surprising that maybe they got a few, you know, con- few uh, convicted criminals. But she says the real con men that are trying to trick homeowners are usually too experienced to get caught up in one of these types of sting operations. So these stings tend to catch someone who just crosses the, the line in an unsophisticated way. Frequently, she says, officers will hire a handyman on the pretext of performing work that doesn't require a license. And then during the course of the job, They'll ask him, hey, as long as you're here, could you do something like, you know, could you help unhook this toilet or lay some tile? When the handyman says no, she says, then the undercover detective moves the conversation to something else and comes back to the question later in a different way. Sama says by the time the handyman gets to the location, they want to make the homeowner happy. They end up agreeing to perform work they didn't intend to on or didn't intend on doing when they first arrived. And the undercover detectives are just creating a crime that probably wouldn't occur otherwise. That's the part that just makes me go. It's wrong. That is an abuse of power. Now, using stings to nab unlicensed contractors isn't unique to Hillsborough County. Cops and regulators have conducted similar similar operations in New York and California, even in my home state of Utah. You know, they, they've done this before and brag about it. You know, this generated nearly $100,000 in fines. Yeah, and it's probably a lot easier than going out there and trying to do real police work and find real criminals who've actually measurably harmed someone else or their property. So it brings us around to the subject of occupational licensing. Whether it's of contractors or hair braiders, it's often much more about protecting incumbent businesses and government licensing revenue than it is about safeguarding the welfare of consumers. Operation House Hunters, says Christian Britsky, is a perfect illustration of this, with cops going to great lengths to manufacture licensing laws vi- law violations that either wouldn't have happened or wouldn't have produced unsatisfied parties. The more law enforcement spends in trapping handyman, <clears throat> the fewer personnel and resources they have to devote to deterring other more serious crimes. I mean, if you're OK with that, you know, just at least be honest enough to say, well, you know, really, I don't want to go after, you know, meth dealing, you know, one percent motorcycle gang members. These handymen, whoa, I might be dumb enough to actually hire somebody. Yeah, it's kind of outsourcing responsibility to the state. Samus says these sting operations rake in big money and fines and court costs. Catching real criminals actually committing a crime is much harder. 
And to me, there's there's another aspect here that that's very dangerous, and that is, uh, you know, it it creates contempt for the law. If the law can just be something that's twisted and used, you know, to to generate revenue or to create criminals out of thin air, then uh, why should we regard it as anything other than just words on paper? I mean, if they're gonna, if you're going to be treated as a criminal for things that should not be considered a crime, and by that I mean if somebody comes to your house, helps you do something, install a light switch or whatever, and they're not licensed, but nothing goes wrong, the job is completed successfully. Someone, somehow, without the state's blessing or having paid it money, actually does the job that was asked of them, and everybody's happy. Who's the victim? You know, and there are some people who are stubborn enough to say, well, it's the the state. You know, the state didn't get its money. The state cannot be a victim. (laughs) So it's it's it just breeds contempt for for the law. How can you respect the law when it's being used as a tool to simply hook people up for purposes that have nothing to do with protecting people's rights, their persons or their property? All right, I'll jump off the soapbox here. Please hold your calls until next hour. We can talk about this some more. But I had to get this off my chest. It is so troubling to me. Um, I saw a quote recently. I'm going to try and remember it. I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember the, the name of the individual. I believe he was French. But the, the comment was something like this. He said, the laws are spider webs to the wealthy. They are chains to the poor and a fishing net to the government. And I think about as as I read about this this sting operation in Hillsborough County, Florida, that's exactly what they're being used for. They're being used for the convenience of those who are in power and not for the protection of the citizenry, which is the whole reason government exists in the first place. So what's the answer here? Well, I think the answer is you dial back the state. You take the power out of the hands of people in positions of authority to, to go around victimizing people who have harmed no one. And by the way, I mean, it's, when, when they arrest these people, don't think it's just a matter of, hey, come with me, man, we caught you. I mean, you get the full gun in the face hut, 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 kind of treatment. After all, it's very dangerous. Yeah. When you're creating criminals, maybe that, that could be a dangerous situation. Maybe that should be a dangerous situation. Because it sure doesn't square with the idea of serving and protecting the public. So if stuff like this is going on in your neck of the woods, let's figure out a way to make it stop. Take the power out of the hands of those who would abuse it. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Please hold your calls until the next hour. We do have a lot to talk about today. And last week, I mean, look, this has been a very eventful year, right? I mean, we have volcanoes popping off around the world. We have the coronavirus going on. We have, of course, the impeachment intrigue and acquittal and the State of the Union and Mitt Romney. (laughs) I'm sorry. There's just there's so much going on. Does it not seem like last week was kind of a crazy week in a year that just started out crazier than most that's the perception that i have and and i got to tell you i'm i'm seriously worried about the mental health of a lot of people myself included and 
I keep myself at arm's length from a lot of the political intrigue. There aren't politicians living in my head. I don't go to sleep fretting over Nancy Pelosi or Donald Trump and what they may have said or what they may have tweeted. That's a very deliberate choice on my part. But I sure encounter a lot of people in the course of a day's work or just, just even, you know, browsing social media or even now just having conversation around town. There are a lot of folks who I, I feel like they're they're on the edge mentally. They are they're in a fragile place. And I'm not saying that to be mean or superior to them. I'm sincerely worried because they, they appear to be on the verge of losing it. I wanted to share a couple of thoughts with you from Caitlin Johnstone. This is from last Friday. She says 2020 is going to get much crazier. And her advice is prioritize your mental health. So for what it's worth, consider this. She says the outrage over the Iowa caucus scandal has continued to burn white hot as more and more establishment manipulations against the Bernie Sanders campaign come into view. At the beginning of a uh, CNN town hall with Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, immediately following the network's town hall with Sanders, the event's host Chris Cuomo announced that 100% of the caucus results were now in and the former South Bend mayor had narrowly won the contest. Now, those results had been announced by the Iowa Democratic Party moments before Buttigieg's town hall appearance. And Caitlin Johnstone says there is no reason for anyone, let alone a major news outlet, even CNN, to believe that these results are legitimate. They're full of easily de- demonstrable errors and discrepancies which have been highlighted by both the Sanders campaign and the New York Times. And those things have yet to be addressed. Furthermore, she says Sanders has a perfectly legitimate claim to the win, given the undisputed fact that he received thousands more votes. Now, this is without even getting into all the other extremely shady shenanigans with the now infamous shadow app whose crash has given the media days to sing Buttigieg's praise, which in turn has given him a major polling bump heading into New Hampshire. But she says Chris Cuomo, Cuomo rather, uh, Fredo to his friends, who's the brother of a Democratic New York governor and the son of another Democratic New York governor, declared Buttigieg because of his establishment grooming and alt-centrist ideology is beloved by billionaires and spooks the winner anyway. In front of millions of people, while Buttigieg was standing right there in the spotlight, immediately after the, quote, results were released. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more in the next segment about uh, the, the mess, the debacle in the Iowa caucus and what we can learn from that. But the point that Caitlin Johnstone is trying to bring home here is we're watching a major U.S. election being rigged in real time right in front of our faces, and it's intense, and it's just getting started. I mean, think back to the 2016 race between Sanders and Hillary Clinton. The Iowa caucuses saw some suspicious activity, and there was a little controversy over improbable coin toss results, but there was nothing like the furor we've been seeing over Iowa for the last several days. It wasn't until the Nevada caucus that things really started getting crazy in the 2016 race, and we're still a couple of weeks out from that this year. So she says we're way ahead of schedule in terms of emotional intensity tied to this presidential primary race and possibly at a more heated point after the very first 2020 primary contest than at any point in the 2016 race between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. And it's only going to get crazier from here. 
She says, and that's just looking at the U.S. Democratic presidential primary. Later this month, we've got the beginning of Julian Assange's extradition trial. We've got the OPCW narrative managing its own scandal by smearing the whistleblowers who revealed that the U.S., U.K., and France almost certainly bombed Syria in 2018 under false pretenses. And we've got continuing revelations of pretty much everything the Trump administration told the world to justify the assassination of Qasem Soleimani was a lie. We've got an escalating new Cold War between the U.S. and Russia, increasing establishment attempts to censor the Internet, an increasing propaganda war against China, the general militaristic belligerence of the U.S. centralized empire, and she says, and God knows what else. So she says, as I, as I called it back in November, things are going to get weirder and weirder throughout the foreseeable future. We're coming to a point in history where the only reliable pattern is the disintegration of patterns. And 2020 has come storming out of its corner, swinging for the fences to establish this pattern with extreme aggression. We're not going to hit a point of stability or normality this year. She says we're going to see things get crazier and crazier and crazier. She says, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be nuts. In such an environment... Caitlin Johnstone says it's going to be absolutely essential to take exceptional care of your psychological health if you want to remain engaged with what's going on in the world in a positive way. She says, and I do mean exceptional. Whatever you're doing now, do more. Start cultivating new habits to keep yourself lucid and serene. Start now before things get super crazy. Work out your issues with your family and with yourself. Remember to move your body in ways that feel good to you. Carve out some time each day for just being quiet with yourself. Notice the beauty around you. She says, give cuddles, get cuddles, take a shower and sing your heart out. Feel your feet on the floor, nestle your bum into your chair and listen to yourself. Breathe like it's a song on the radio. Yawn, belch, stretch, roar, put on some loud music and rock out. Whatever you know works for you to get you out of your head and back into your body. Remember to do it and remember to do it regularly. And she says, make it habitual. Be proactive with this rather than reactive. If you wait until you have to react to things going bottom side up later, it's going to feel like you're fighting to get your head above water. But she says, if you do it now, you'll have the mental space needed to navigate tumultuous waters. And she says, this is what will be necessary if you want to engage with the increasingly frenetic narrative matrix in the future. The only alternative will be to disengage completely and throw your attention into escapism, or at least from politics and news. And she says, if you don't make the cultivation of mental health, mental well-being your first and foremost priority, you will be forced in a very unpleasant way to disengage anyhow. And honestly, she says this is something that all activist types should be doing anyway. Believing you can help the world without doing serious inner work is like believing you can clean the house while covered in raw sewage. You can always spot the political activists who engage without doing any inner work by the chaotic, unskillful, and frequently counterproductive form their actions take. They can't see clearly enough to operate efficaciously. Because their vision is clouded with unresolved suffering and conflict, she says, get in the shower, wash the yuck off yourself before trying to clean the house. Now, in her case, she leans pretty hard to the left, but she says some of her readers want a Sanders insurgency in the Democratic Party. Some support third parties or independents. Others eschew electoral politics altogether and endorse other approaches to pushing for real change. But she says in her experience... You all care deeply about the world regardless of your preferred path toward doing so. 
and that's going to take a heavy toll as all manner of things unravel over the next year if you don't have the psychological spaciousness to navigate it lucidly. So she says, above all, be gentle with yourself. We've got a ways ahead of us. We need you fresh and feeling good. You won't be able to help wake the world up if you let the chaos and confusion drag you down. Know when to take a break from the information stream and all the babbling narratives trying to twist your perception of it. Use your tools to distance yourself from the narratives so that you can perceive them objectively. Ground yourself. Find your center. Then, when you're ready, wade back in. She says no matter how chaotic things get, your ability to navigate that chaos skillfully needs to be your first and foremost priority. Put your mental well-being first and everything else will fall into place. And she finishes with, be the peace and harmony you want to see in the world. Now, look, if that sounds touchy-feely, I understand it. But I think she happens to be 100% right on how we should be approaching this. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Hang on to your calls. We'll get to them in the next hour. I uh, want to talk a little bit more about the Iowa caucuses last week. Look, I, you know, I, I don't hang a whole lot of my hopes on any kind of a political solution calming the, the stormy seas for us. But it is interesting to see what was happening. And, and I agree with what uh, Caitlin Johnstone had asserted. I shared this in the last segment. What you're seeing is the rigging of the national election right before your eyes. It's, it's a repeat albeit a much more blatant repeat of what we saw in 2016. Now, I wasn't really dialed into Bernie Sanders in 2016. However, at the time, I did have a co-worker who was, uh, she was feeling the burn. And and I want you to understand, I'm not trying to be dismissive of you, a little socialist there. I think that uh, this person was very sincerely concerned about uh, the underdog, concerned about the little guy. Um, She was concerned about people being trampled on, taken advantage of. Where we differ is uh, using the mechanism of government to try to correct that through central planning, through wealth redistribution. Um, Socialism is, it's a very unhappy, very unsuccessful way to get things done. Because it means that at some level, you and I have to essentially concede that, hey, We're sheep, and these people who are in this position of authority know better than we do how to run our lives. And I accepted the truth a long time ago. I am not a sheep. I suspect that you must have accepted this at some point, or you wouldn't be listening to what I'm saying right now. Fair enough? So what can we learn from what's going on in Iowa? Michael Snyder, writing for The End of the American Dream, has a pretty solid take on this. He says the debacle in Iowa is a perfect example of the extreme incompetence that's plaguing America. Now, he doesn't pull any punches. He says the rest of the world is laughing at us. After what just took place in Iowa, we certainly do not have any right to lecture other nations about how to run their elections. It was a dumpster fire of epic proportions, and the entire globe is talking about it. Apparently, the Democrats have decided to run their elections the same way that they run their cities. The Iowa Democratic Party had just one job to do, and they failed in spectacular fashion. Collecting voting results and reporting them to the public shouldn't be complicated, but these days, incompetence has become the norm. From one end of the country to the other, it seems like people are competing to see who can be the most incompetent, 
And he says our population is becoming more dumbed down with each passing day. So the debacle in Iowa is being blamed on, what, a faulty app? He says, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised. After all, just about everything that we put on our phones and computers these days must constantly be fixed or patched due to endless errors. Well, this app that the Democrats were using did not have to be complicated. It simply needed to accurately relay data from the precincts to the Iowa Democratic Party. But thanks to a, quote, coding area, era, error, rather, that did not happen. Here's the quote. Due to a coding error, the app created by a company called Shadow Inc. wasn't reporting the correct data, according to the Iowa Democratic Party. That error resulted in the Democrats delaying all public reporting of the results of Monday's caucuses and has sown chaos and confusion in a hotly contested and deeply important primary. End quote. So after all the hot air that the Democrats have been blowing about the integrity of our elections, you would think that they would have their act together for the 2020 election says Michael Snyder, but he says instead they just showed the rest of the world what not to do. And it isn't as if this was a complete surprise. According to CNN, it was clear well in advance the app was not working properly. CNN said precinct captains from across Iowa began realizing days before the caucuses that the app wasn't working properly. Some complained to their county party leadership. Others said nothing and just hoped that it would work at the needed moment, and some planned to just call in their results, as has been done in the past. And most county party chairs openly worried about the lack of training on the reporting system. Well, says Michael Snyder, in fact, only about one fourth of all precinct chairs were able to successfully download the app. CNN says only a quarter of nearly 1,700 precinct chairs even successfully downloaded the app, according to a Democrat familiar with the matter. I tried to get it to work, said Jane Podgorniak, the Worth County Party chair. I tried and tried. Well, Michael Snyder says there never was any training for the precinct chairs, and there was mass confusion among local party officials. In Polk County, the chairman of the Democratic Party told his precinct chairs to simply call in the results, but that didn't work either. This is from the New York Times. So last Thursday, Mr. Bagniewski, the chairman of the Democratic Party in Iowa's most populous county, Polk, instructed his precinct chairs to simply call in the caucus results as they had always done. But during Monday night's caucuses, those precinct chairs could not connect with party leaders via phone. Whole times stretched past 90 minutes. And when Mr. Bagniewski had his executive director take pictures of the results with her smartphone and drive over to the Iowa Democratic Party headquarters to deliver them in person, she was turned away without explanation. Now, some precinct chairs were on hold with headquarters for two or three hours last Monday night, and it's still not clear why Iowa Democratic Party officials were not more responsive. Michael Snyder says, needless to say, this is a complete and utter embarrassment for the National Democratic Party, and DNC Chair Tom Perez is pledging that such a debacle will never happen again. What happened last night, Perez wrote in a statement, should never happen again. We have staff working around the clock to assist the Iowa Democratic Party to ensure that all votes are counted. It is clear that the app in question did not function adequately. It will not be used in Nevada or anywhere else during the primary election process. The technology vendor must provide absolute transparent accounting of what went wrong. Michael Snyder says hopefully they can get their issues ironed out, but the truth is that the Democratic Party has a long history of complete and utter incompetence. And, of course, the Republican Party is not much better. In fact, he says, I could tell you stories about Republicans in my area that would make your hair stand on end. Sadly, 
The truth is that we have become a raging idiocracy where people can't seem to do much of anything right. At one time, we were a shining example to the rest of the world. But today, we are a horde of entertainment-addicted zombies that never learned what it meant to grow up and act like adults. For example, just consider what's happening at one of our most prestigious universities. Students at Yale University are being encouraged to participate in a variety of programs offered by the chaplain's office, including a weekly cookies and coloring hour and a campus bouncy castle during nice a campus bouncy castle during nice weather. The children's activities are promoted as opportunities for adult students to relieve anxiety and disconnect from technology at the Ivy League institution. I'm just letting that sink in for a second. It's like we want to be perpetual infants. Sit on the curb and cry until someone brings us cookies and milk. Michael Snyder says the more mindless our entertainment, the more we like it. The number of alcohol-related deaths has doubled over the past 20 years. The suicide rate has soared to a record high. And we are taking more legal and illegal drugs than ever before. And just about every category of immorality you can possibly imagine... We are leading the world, or in very close contention for the top spot. We are a complete and utter mess, and we are on a road that inevitably leads to national ruin. Of course, if anyone dares to offend our snowflake sensibilities by confronting us with the truth, many of us instantly melt down and start throwing a temper tantrum. Now, he says, needless to say, what I have just said does not apply to everyone, but overall, our society is rapidly degenerating all around us, and our nation has no future if we stay on this path. By the way, Michael Snyder has some terrific links included in this article, so I'll be posting this with the show notes. You can check it out for yourself. I would I would really recommend. This is not just, you know, he's not just speaking off the cuff here. He's he's backing up and documenting everything that he's asserting. And if it if it troubles you, what? Alcohol deaths tr- uh, doubling over the last 20 years, suicide rate soaring to a record high. Just about every category of immorality, we are leading the world or in close contention for the top spot, using more legal and illegal drugs than ever. He's got the he's got the articles to back this up. So I would urge you to take a look at it. Don't take his word for it. But I'd also urge you to take a few moments maybe to stop and think why. If there's truth to this, if we really have seen that big of a shift societally, what's making it happen? You know, I've got my ideas. I don't know that I, I don't know that I have all the answers. I certainly don't have all the answers, but I, I don't know if, if, if I've dialed it in or not. But we have drifted. Uh, what's another way? We've come untethered from some of the things that once kept us moored to reality. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that, uh, you know, it's, it's going to get worse. Like I shared with you the, the article from Caitlin Johnstone in the last segment, people's mental health is breaking down because of this. My daughter was working in uh, health care during the 2016 election, and she talked about uh, part of her work, you know, had her in the hospital regularly working with folks. And she said it was crazy how many people came in just having anxiety having meltdowns, you know, falling apart like a soup sandwich for no other reason than Donald Trump was elected. And that was that was a legitimate reason to them to go out and seek help. I'm not telling you don't seek help if you think you need it, but why would something as simple as an election put people right there on the edge, if not over the edge? 
Something we ought to be asking ourselves. We'll take a break. We'll be back after this. Once again, welcome back to Loving Liberty. We are in the home stretch for our first hour today. Again, hold your calls. We'll open up the phones coming up in hour two. Look, I hope it doesn't sound too negative, and I hope it doesn't sound like I'm being judgmental when uh, I've spent some time today talking about the, the mental challenge that is ahead of us in keeping your sanity in a world that's uh, rapidly coming apart at the seams. I, I don't want to talk about it from the standpoint of, well, you know, I'm so far above this. And, you know, this is for you little people or you people who are weak. You're the ones who have to deal with it. No, I, I find myself, again, having to, to sit back and really think, you know, what am I going to focus my uh, finite amount of moral energy and mental energy on in a way that doesn't drive me up the wall? And some days it's easier than others. And other days it's I, I do. I want to escape. I, you know, I can't be the only person who has that uh, that fantasy about there's got to be a quiet place somewhere, 40 miles off the main highway, at least, where I can go and just ride out what appears to be a very large coming storm in, in relative peace and security. I want to do it. Got to be honest, man. I, if, if I could disconnect from society and just let this mess go down the toilet without me, I would uh, gladly let it go. But I suspect that uh, I wasn't born to sit on the sidelines and, and just passively watch stuff happen. I think I have a role to play. I think you have a role to play. And that means we've got to be where, where others are. We've got to be able to engage. We've got to, we have to be willing to, enri- to risk in order to, to be effective advocates for truth and light. And if that sounds lofty, well, so be it. But I think that's how I would like to spend my life. In fact, let me take just a moment here. I'm going to brag on my friend Sam Bushman, who is the operator of Liberty, uh, the Liberty News Radio Network, as well as the host of Liberty Roundtable. Sam is an incredible guy. He runs at an intensity that is just, it's beyond belief. Unless you've met him, you'd have a hard time appreciating how much this guy is doing in the course of a day. He is, he works a full-time IT job. He's a, he's a genius when it comes to computers and and writing software and um, technical stuff. He is just absolutely on top of it. That's his full-time job. In addition to being a father, he's got a nice large family and, and he is an engaged father who's, who's active in the lives of his children and his grandkids. And just, he's also a tireless advocate for liberty. And you can hear that every morning. He's, he's on the Loving Liberty Radio Network every morning between 7 and 9 a.m. And Sam does all of this having been completely blind his whole life. Now, I don't even know. Look, I, I make excuses for a well, while. I'm not good at math and I, you know, I'm slow in so many things. There's, there's stuff I don't understand or I'm just I just tire easily. I don't know what the case is. But something I've heard Sam say that just just resonates with me is he is determined to use his life in the cause of liberty. And I mean, as service to God, as part of his gratitude to his creator. 
And I think that's an attitude that would actually benefit more of us if we would adopt it for ourselves. You don't have to be a Sam Bushman. There can only be one. <laughs> he's like like Rush Limbaugh. They're, they're, you know, he's, he's an authentic character. He is the real deal. But you can be your most authentic character. But it takes work. And it takes the willingness to embrace risk. And it takes the willingness to, to fail and pick yourself up and keep moving forward. And sometimes that can be a pretty tough sell. Heaven knows I've, I've been there myself for a good portion, maybe more of my adult life than I wish. I'm just going to play it easy. I'm going to play it conservative. I'm going to take it very carefully so that nothing can possibly go wrong. Well, guess what? It's going to go wrong anyway. So you might as well get in there, get your hands dirty, and, and do what you can to make the difference you were born to make. I'm not asking you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself or that I'm not doing myself currently. I'm just grateful for examples like my friend Sam, who uh, who are doing it without complaint and just carrying forward. I, the world needs people like this. And even if it's just a tiny minority of us who are willing to step up and, and fill that role, it has far greater impact than you can possibly imagine. It's not always apparent at first. Sam may not be a household name yet. But I promise you that the people who are within his circle of influence feel that impact. And it will be the very same with you. I don't know what your circle of influence entails. I don't know how wide it is, but I promise you, you have one. And it, it may start and end, you know, there within the walls of your own home. But that's okay. Because the impact you're having is real. I guess what I'm trying to ask you to consider here is don't give up. Don't uh, don't detach and, and, you know, run for the hills. As much as it's tempting to, to want to disconnect and just let, uh, let the whole mess go to hell in a handbasket, this is the time where we really need people who have a clear picture of who they are and what they stand for. And it's surprising. They're not always going to take the, the form that you, that you think. They're not always going to be somebody who holds a Ph.D. or someone who dresses in a business suit or someone with immense wealth. Sometimes it's, it's by the simple things that really great things are accomplished. And by simple things, I don't mean necessarily, well, this person inspired this form of public policy or, you know, built this hospital or did that. I'm talking about simple things like a person who knew this is the time for me to offer a prayer to God Almighty for help in this situation or for direction in this particular situation. And that spelled the difference. Sounds kind of uh, kind of out there, right? I totally get it. But I also believe it with all my heart. Or I would not do the things that I do on a day-to-day -day basis. Had a conversation, actually, uh, last week. This was just a you know social media conversation. Um, I, I had uh, shared a few thoughts about Rush Limbaugh getting awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And it was actually a very touching thing to watch. And, and I had to give credit to Rush for his influence in my life. Now, look, there was a time when he when he first came into the talk radio scene, and I think it was in the early 90s that he more or less exploded as a syndicated talk show. And, and I would give the guy credit. He brought talk radio, or AM radio particularly, back to life. He gave it a boost that has lasted for nearly 30 years now. And it has been just amazing. And so I think he rightly deserved to be recognized for that. I credit the guy for showing me that it was actually fun to learn to think for myself. 
And there came a point where eventually I outgrew what Rush had to say. That doesn't mean that he was wrong and I was right and I'm better than him. It just means that uh, there came a point where I could ride that bike on my own. And you know what? The direction it took me was different than the direction that uh, Mr. Limbaugh was doing. And so I just I gave a little homage to him and just said, you know, I appreciate that. And I think that uh, I think that was actually a well-deserved recognition for him and for what he has done. There are other people I know of as well that, you know, he was the start for them thinking for themselves, learning to think clearly and independently. Whether they ended up agreeing with him in the end or not is irrelevant. He helped us take those first few steps on that path. And, and a friend of mine who's worked in music radio for many years and is very talented at what he does says, well, you know, I thought about getting into talk radio, but, you know, I could never make it work around here because, uh, you know, I, I don't think I could, uh, I, I don't think I'd, the people would listen to me. I'd have too poor a ratings. And I said, well, you know, sometimes ratings aren't the only consideration. And I got the predictable response. Well, you know, now somewhere a general manager is is losing their hair over what you just said. Ratings aren't the most important thing, but... You know, there was a time I believed that they were. But that was a time where my livelihood depended upon impressing my corporate overlords enough to keep them paying me a paycheck. And it took took a couple couple of times of getting kicked to the curb by those same corporate overlords for me to realize that uh, it's more important to me to speak truth and to try in, in whatever way I can to be a bringer of light than it is to simply try to reinforce whatever prejudice people may have. And sometimes, you know, that that does. It, it, it angers people to, to bring up things that they don't really want to consider. And I've had to accept the fact that some people not only disagree with me, some people disagree with me to the point where they really, really don't like me. But I'm okay with that. And I don't return that dislike or that hatred or, you know, that contempt in return. I've learned to let it slide right off my back. But it was so liberating to realize that there are other ways that that we can have that impact. And, you know, playing to, you know, reinforcing what people already think, that is certainly a way to build a great audience. And I've done it before. I've seen how it works. And, And throwing red meat, by the way, it's, again, proven tactic. I'm much more interested in being a source of truth and light to the best of my ability for those who are seeking such things. The fact that you're listening to me right now tells me that uh, you're one of those people. I hope that what I'm giving you is offering some kind of value to your life. That's why I do what I do. Well, there's the end of it. That's my summer essay. Why I Do What I Do by Brian Hyde. we got to wrap things up. we got to take a quick break. We'll be back next hour with your phone calls. 